Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy, as always, that you're tuning in to another episode of Dose of Leadership. You know, when we look at the areas of focus that we need to partake in when we're looking at leadership, you know, it's there's the physical side. We got to take care of ourselves. We got to be in shape, get good sleep, watch what we eat, watch what we drink. The mental aspect of it is always educating ourselves, pushing ourselves. The social aspect, the people who we surround ourselves around with, the emotional stuff, the self-awareness. We got to clean up ourselves. We got to lead ourselves well before we can lead others well. But there's another aspect of it. It's the spiritual side. And that's what we talk about in this show uh, with my guest, Greg Amundsen. And you've got to focus on something outside of yourself, whether it be God, a faith, a charity. Remember that people have a lot bigger problems than we have. So many people do. And that's one of the aspects of leadership, right? Why do we do it? We do it to add value. That's how you become a leader of influence is adding value, making the campsite better than you found it, as I like to say. And Greg is the perfect guest to talk about this. I mean, this guy is a beast. This guy is one of the founding athletes of the CrossFit program. He was mentored personally by the founder of CrossFit, Coach Greg Glassman. But you look at Greg Amundsen's resume. He's done so many things. He's been law enforcement for over 20 years, including on the SWAT side as a special agent with the DEA. He's done so many things. He's the author of seven books, one of my favorites is The Warrior and the Monk. Great book, by the way. He's also a Peace Officer Standards and Training Certified Law Enforcement Chaplain. He's got a podcast called The Greg Amundsen Show, which is great. And again, if faith or spirituality or religion makes you uncomfortable, this isn't about religion, right? It's the spirituality side. You can believe whatever you want, but believe in something bigger than yourself. And I think that is, a, I know that's a necessary requirement for leadership. I, used, I ignored it for so long. But just like the self-awareness piece, the spirituality piece that goes hand in hand, it's required for today's leadership. And it's particularly the warrior side of leadership. And that's what Greg is so good at. And we talk about that. What does it mean to be a warrior? Not everybody can be a warrior. And warriors aren't popular. Anyway, you're going to love this conversation. I just really enjoyed it. And it's, it's so powerful. So thanks for tuning in. This show is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. They've been a sponsor for over two years. Been proud to have them being a sponsor on Dose of Leadership. It's a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. They understand the concepts of leadership. They put it into play. They live it. They breathe it. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas. It's clearly this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. And so if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, go check them out. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Man, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being a supporter of the show. If you haven't done so already, subscribe, rate, review. I say this every time. Pass the word. Let people know about Dose of Leadership. Your word of mouth does wonders keeping me front and center in all the top rankings in the business management category on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those. And if you're looking for leadership training, particularly in this virtual world, give me a ch- give me a call. Love to do. I've done tons of on off-site Zoom keynotes, group training, coaching. can all be done virtual. Give me a shout at doseofleadership.com or richard at doseofleadership.com to email me directly. Let me know where you're at in your journey. And keep this in mind too. January, I'll be opening up slots to my 
Dosa Leadership University, which has been going strong over the past nine months. I'll be expanding, having Dosa Leadership mentors who have been with me for the last nine months. I'll have mentors in there that will help you in your leadership journey. It's a great group, great community to get attached to help you in your leadership journey. Again, more to follow and more to come as the year unfolds. All right, let's get on with this conversation with Greg Amundsen here on Dosa Leadership. Well, Greg, man, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, man, your background is so varied, man. I, I was reading your bio and I, I just I couldn't believe how much stuff you've done in your short lifespan, man. What what <laughs> <laughs> what drives this motivation and this passion? What What's driving it? I appreciate the question. I have certainly worn many hats. There seems to be a hardwired drive in me undoubtedly fostered by my mom and dad who have gone to be with the Lord, this hardwired drive to serve other people, specifically in the context of the warrior profession, whether that be military, law enforcement, martial art, fitness, now serving in ministry capacities, that drive has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. So watching your father, your father was a pastor, right? If I did I read that correctly? Well, I'm following in his footsteps. He wore many hats as well. He was a <laughs> naval officer, chiropractor, bodybuilder, pastor, youth minister at the California Youth Authority. Phenomenal father to me, amazing husband to my mom. He was just an amazing guy. Yeah. So obviously you had a perfect example to kind of strive towards, right? I mean, I, I sincerely did. I know many people likely say that and good for them. Praise God. I was one of them. I had an amazing example in both my mom and my dad. They complimented each other so well. And to this day, I still have moments of, oh, my parents told me that. I knew this was going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) So what is it? I mean, looking at you, obviously fitness takes a huge um, part of your makeup, right? I mean, and certainly I can understand and, and, and I strive to get there. And I know when I'm in the zone and I get in that physical fitness piece and coming from the Marine Corps when I was looking back where I was, I am now to where I was in the Marine Corps and how fit I was and how that, that fed into my mental capacity, right? I mean, I think that physical fitness, the main reason, I think obviously we think it's for our, our health, our physical health, like a heart and blood pressure and all that kind of things. But I honestly think it's a more mental thing. And I, I just, I know that if I don't exercise, my mental capacity goes down the drain, you know? Yeah. Well said. I completely agree with you. My earliest childhood memories, again, back to my parents, earliest childhood memories, my dad driving me to the YMCA to work out. Along the way, we're listening to audio cassette tapes of the prominent pastors, theologians of that time. So in my young, very impressionable mind, I'm starting to see the relationship between physical training, developing a strong, robust, resilient body, developing a strong, robust, resilient mind, then developing a strong, robust, resilient spirit, how those are all interconnected. And reflecting on nearly a lifetime of 
physical training. I've probably worked out every day of my life since I was a very, very young boy. What I've realized is that the greatest adaptation to all the physical training is mental. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the biggest I think it's the biggest hurdle. And I am you know, I'm fifty two years old and I that clarity of, of the challenge of the mental thing really it's just in the last decade for me, realizing the power of that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that leadership is eighty percent, if not more, of the self awareness and overcoming the limiting beliefs and the self-doubt that I think, and I've come to appreciate that, and this is largely due to all the conversations I've had on this show for eight years, that they never truly go away. And I think that once you understand that and embrace that, then you can start getting on with it. Does that make sense? Like, I Mm -hmm. think we spend a lot of wasted energy and time and resources trying to eliminate it. Even in the, I think even and this is why I'm curious what your answer is, because you're such a maniac when it comes to fitness, <laughs> right? But at some point, I mean, you you have to be dealing with limiting beliefs, self doubt, even as though as confident and as fit as you must must be, right? Is that is that a fair statement? Very fair statement. I flip the paradigm on fear, uncertainty, anxiety, self doubt. Yeah, I noticed that. I'm only fearful. I only have anxiety. I'm only uncertain about things that matter to me a great deal. Right. So I use anxiety, fear, uncertainty as a compass to navigate, to point me in the direction that God wants me to go. Yeah. I love how you said that. I mean, I agree a hundred percent. I've started saying that, that, that fear is actually a blessing because it's a barometer Mm -hmm of what you should probably be focused on. Mm-hmm. And that if through the definition of courage, right? And you work through that, then something significant happens on the other side. That's mm-hmm. the power and the blessing of fear, right? Is that, that's what mm-hmm. I heard you say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Specifically the use of the word courage is very fitting. The Latin root cur, C-U-R is heart. Right. So what God puts in our heart we're naturally, we're inclined, we're drawn towards. Yet, what God puts in our heart can be accomplished theologically only with Him. So, if we're doing something and we have the full assurance, I can do it. Well, you certainly can because you're doing it on your own. Mm-hmm. Yet, if you want to aspire to what you were born to be, to what you were born to do, it can only be done by the grace, the help, the support courage god breathing into your heart yeah there has to be i agree with you too there has to be a spiritual aspect to your leadership journey right and and there has to be there has to be some sort of alignment with a higher calling i i didn't used to think that and that's another thing that kind of in the last 10 years that i do believe right that i think that you have to be aligned i think there's you, the the universal obligation I've said on the, on the show many times is that I think we're here to make the place better than we found it, right? And and what I mean by that is intentional with every transaction that we do. That and this is where I think leadership gets hard is that I, intentionally with everything that I do, 
with every transaction I have with myself, every transaction I have with the people I come in contact with, every transaction I come in contact with, the physical surroundings, the community, the earth, everything else has to be to the point where I'm adding value. Mm-hmm. And what do, you, what, is, what do you think when you hear me say that? How does that, how does that resonate with you? Resonates like a tuning fork, brother. We're on the same wavelength, reading from the same sheet of music. It's beautiful. Leaders have a responsibility to help people see clearly. Mm-hmm. Leaders have a responsibility to inspire people to preserve, to nurture what's best in life while simultaneously confronting what is detrimental to life. Leaders have a responsibility to help point people in the right direction to, by their example, be the embodiment of a compass so that people can see the leader and think to themselves, aha, that's what it's meant to look like. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, uh, going back to the fear and uncertainty piece, and I like what you said there, and I, and I kind of, I come from a place that the fear and uncertainty never fully goes away, right? It's a daily, it's a daily journey of slaying dragons. And I think, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's the same dragon, right? Mm-hmm. And the professional, you, you and I can celebrate the dragon, the hydra, the heads that we slayed today, right? And we'll celebrate, we'll put our arms around each other and say, hey, we did it. But we know that that same hydra or that same dragon could come back tomorrow. And we're okay with that in a sense, right? Or we, I don't know if okay is the right word, but we, we, ex, we, we're not surprised if it comes back. It, how does that resonate with you? That's kind of where in my mind yeah. it is. Yeah. Well said to flip that coin over. I'm concerned if the dragon doesn't present itself again tomorrow. Oh, okay. Why concerned? I think I know because where you're going. Because I'm off the path. Ah, oh, yeah, the yeah. I, I see what you're saying. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is evidence to me that I'm on the right path. Yeah, I like how you said that. I've never thought of it that way, that concern, but I figured that's where you're going with it. But yeah, that's a great point. Because yeah, if I'm on the right path, it's kind of like the old cliche joke we're asking the bomber pilot at World War II is like, how did you know you were getting close to the target? He says, I got shot at a lot more, <laughs> right? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Right, And so he knew he was on track if, if the flak was getting heavy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would think, you know, when you're talking about resistance, you know, however that works in the universe, if you have that dream, you know, the angels, the muse, God puts something on your heart, right? And it seems insurmountable to your point, you know, you're down here and the, the whatever is on your heart is way up there. Mm-hmm. That resistance is going to try to stop you to your point, right? Mm-hmm. And the closer you get to it, that's when it gets the heaviest, and that, mm-hmm. that, to your point, if, if, if I'm hearing what you're saying, we should embrace that. Like, okay, I know I'm getting close. And that's when you got to dig in. Yeah. That's when yeah. you dig in. That's when all the both intangible and tangible tools of leadership are brought to the battlefront. Right. Right. Yep. That's the mental part of it. And so, yeah, I suppose this becomes second nature to you because you've just, you know, that warrior mindset. You know, I I did a podcast a long time ago, solo one. It's like, where where have all the warriors gone, you know? And you kind of look around and, like, there's just this lack of 
a warrior mindset that I say. And sometimes when I say that, people have these, you know, they picture Conan the Barbarian with a, a double-edged battle axe standing on a bunch of dead bodies, right? But what mm-hmm. does a warrior mindset mean to you? What is what is that? Paint me a picture of what a warrior mindset is. Well, these days, everything that I, every answer seems to be shaped by my theological studies, the impression the scripture has made on my thinking. So a really beautiful example of a warrior is to look at the archetype that we see in David's confrontation of Goliath. Mm -hmm. All the artifacts of a warrior are on display. The pinnacle of the warrior archetype, in fact, is on display. What we see right away are these qualities that present a stark contrast between the one and the many. David is the only warrior on the entire battlefield. There's many soldiers. Right. There's one warrior. Yeah. That's a great way to, yeah, you're right. Right. Heraclitus said something similar in his famous quote. Of the 100 men you send me, 80 are nothing more than targets. 10 don't even belong here. Nine are real fighters. We're lucky to have them. They the battle make, but one, one is a warrior. And so one of the first, right, one of the first ways of conceptualizing the warrior is that there will likely never come a time when society is agreeable to embracing that archetype. Yeah, that's a great point. It's always antagonistic. That's right. It always has mm-hmm. been. That's a great point, you know, and I think that's that's something that just kind of came clear to me too. It's like, like you can't – yeah, if the goal is 100% acceptance of the warrior mindset, that's a folly. That, that's a, Not a warrior if, anymore. The warrior always makes people uncomfortable. That's right. And they should. Mm-hmm. They're a different class of society. They see the world differently. They have a different responsibility, a different design by God, different purpose, different mission to fulfill. It's to shake it. Yeah, it's to shake it up. You're right. And that's why sometimes those archetype figures are always kind of tragic. They're kind of tragic, tragic heroes, too, in a lot of ways. I mean, David, in a lot of ways, a tragic hero, right? I mean, David certainly had his faults. Yeah, he certainly did. But I think that's the important thing to understand, right? It's like it's not about it's not about perfection. It's not about a hundred percent acceptance. It's about doing the right thing when no one else can uh, no one else can see it or believe it. Maybe. Sure, my drill instructor in boot camp said integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's watching. Right. The daily discipline that goes into developing the mind, the body, the spirit. Very often we celebrate the warrior at the conclusion of their victory. Yet what we fail to see is the hours. Yeah, the the 10,000 hours behind. Right, right, the training. The isolated training, day in, day out, no fanfare. The warrior is doing the work that ultimately culminates in that one decisive moment of victory. So how do we, okay, 
so if I'm sitting here and I want to be a better whatever, I want to be a better leader, a better husband, a better father, a better leader of society. And I look at the examples and, I've, and I haven't had up to this point in my life, I'm a guy that hasn't, say I'm a guy that I haven't really accomplished much, but I want to start. And I see someone like you who've just, you know, again, maniacal in your in appearance of physical fitness, in your mental toughness. And what I see a lot of people doing, and I see myself in this too, if I start something, I want to go full bore. I guess it's almost even like, well, I want to lose weight or want to quit smoking, want to quit drinking, whatever the case may be. And, and people go cold turkey or they, they've been getting up at 10 a.m. or noon and now they're going to get up at 5 and they're going to journal and they're going to run three miles and they, they realize how hard it is and they quit, right? I'm a huge proponent of kind of the compound effect and starting small and this and that. I, I, I guess my where I'm going with this is my question is how does one keep their motivation, keep it um, when there's setbacks? Because it, it's almost like, to your point, the 10,000 hours are more setbacks than they are. And because of the compound effect, you don't see the results right away. In fact, sometimes you'll cross the goal line and the finish line and you haven't even realized you crossed it because it's so incrementally slow. I don't know. What does that – I've said a lot there, but I was just kind of yeah, – spit, yeah. I was kind of spitballing. And I guess where I'm going with this is like how do you stay motivated when when the goal seems so far away? I guess that's really what I'm going for. Perfect. What's amazing about these questions that we ask ourselves is these are the questions of humanity. Yeah. To a lesser or greater degree, everyone asks themselves that very question. And it's no surprise because that question is recorded in one of the earliest sections of the scripture. When Abraham, who is the archetype of the father of faith. When he heard God call him, what he heard was go to the land that I will show you. So there's always space between where we are Mm -hmm. and where God wants us to go. Right. Or where we want to go because God puts the desire in our heart for fill in the blank higher levels of physical fitness, greater integrity in our leadership. That's a divine desire that's implanted within us. Right. Here we are. Here's where God wants us to be. In between those two spaces, (laughs) there's some walking to do. (laughs) Right? We have to remember that Abraham walked. (laughs) How, How far did the guy get in a day? Not very far. Yeah. But he kept walking. He kept going. And... I I refer to this principle as as the MDR, the minimum daily requirement. Mm. We have to establish for ourselves what that MDR might be. And no matter what, we keep the MDR. It's almost like it's a non-negotiable. Your MDR becomes your daily non-negotiable, right? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. We're always moving the needle. We're always taking one step closer to that promised land. With with the eyes always right, always on the objective, right? You're always working the objective. You're always working the final goal, but understanding that to get there, you've got to have some minimum daily. What was the R again? Requirement. 
minimum daily requirement. You have to take one step in that direction. And again, understand the theological example, the distance between point A and point B is really far. Really far. You won't be able to see point B until you're right on top of it. Right. And I think so. That's where faith comes in. That's where hope comes in. Right. That's a great point because I, I think when you're in the leadership space, you have to understand that the that the steps you're taking sometimes you may not even fully see in your lifetime the impact or the influence that you're setting forth from those MDRs that you do in every day the consistency awesome. behind it right and awesome. and you have to be willing to accept that reality that you may not fully see or appreciate what you're laying down right awesome awesome and, that's exactly exactly right in your case the seeds of your labor might be ultimately made manifest in the life of your children or your children's children. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is why leadership can be so hard because it isn't instantaneous gratification, right? It's the gratification has to come from the journey. It has to come from that. You have to fall in love with your MDRs is what I'm hearing, right? You have Mm -hmm. to fall in love as unsexy as they may be, you have to fall in love with those. Mm-hmm. And you fall and in love. Extraordinary, yeah. What's extraordinary is the MDR, the minimum increases yeah, it, over time. That's right. I was going to say that, that, that over time, those MDRs are, are expanding. It's no difference in like, well, my minimum daily requirements, I'm going to walk one mile. Then one, one, one mile becomes easy. You know, two years from now, it's three miles, right? It's nothing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're right. So you're always, even though you have an MDR, you're always pushing yourself mm-hmm. to expand those. Yeah. A, a helpful illustration for me is this principle of self-mastery in service of others. Mm-hmm. In some respects, that's an equal-sided coin. Leadership is self-mastery in service of others. Right. The leader desires to serve others. That's the essence of leadership. Yet in order to lead with credibility, with integrity, there has to be a degree of self-mastery in place. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. When you talk about leadership in, in the sense and you ask people, I think leadership is one of those concepts you tell people, yeah, I want to be a better leader. And they think they know what leadership is. But then when you start to try to define it, right, people start to, mm-hmm. well, what does it really mean? And 
and the what point you just said there, the part you just said there, doesn't get talked about enough, and that's the self mastery. Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole time in the Marine Corps when I was in there, which was you know a whole culture of leadership, I didn't fully mm-hmm. understand the power of the self mastery. I still thought, even my whole time, my ten years of active duty in the Marine Corps, and you know, and that took me into my thirties, my early thirties, right, mid thirties. I still thought it was external, mm-hmm. about influencing and motivating others. And it wasn't until I started into my 40s and having a splat moment and almost getting divorced and everything else and, and realizing up to now that how much of it is a daily grind of self-mastery. Mm-hmm. 80% plus, I think. But some people, but people say, well, what, what, how does the influencing and motivating, I I think it's because through example and shining your light on yourself and doing that self mastery that you give permission for people around you to do the same, right? So it doesn't Mm -hmm. become this, I need to get out in front and hit you over the head with a wiffle ball bat to get you to do things. It's like, I want to be around this person because of who they are, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that make sense? I was just kind of rambling. Makes total there. sense. Makes total sense. I use an illustration in some of the books that I've written or sermons that even if you were all alone on a remote island, you're still leading the most important person on that yeah, island. Yourself. <laughs> yourself. Leadership starts with us. Leadership starts with you. Lead yourself first. That's the principle involved. That's self-mastery. Well, and you can even take those examples of real life examples where people have survived those isolated survival conditions and the ones that have made it and the ones that haven't. And it was that self-mastery. They're all leadership principles, right? Mm-hmm. Of of not knowing how we're going to get through this, but just knowing you're going to get through it, right? Mm-hmm. That's the faith mm-hmm. aspect of leadership, right? What all the great leaders have always said, I don't know. When faced with the crisis, you know, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but somehow I know we're going to get through this, right? Mm -hmm. That's what leaders Mm do. They can never waver from that kind of concept. And you look at those survival situations or where people have been lost at sea for days and there have been three of them and one of them died or two of them died. And they tell the stories that they just gave up. They didn't see it, right? And the ones that Mm -hmm. lived, they always had that vision. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. To come back to the story of David and Goliath, this is the power of expectations, the power of hope, the power of faith. There's nine utterances of David in this section of the scripture that encapsulates the story of David and Goliath. Seven out of those nine utterances of David are in what I refer to as positive expectancy. He's the only person on the battlefield who's talking about victory. Yeah, he's expecting. Yeah, you're right. He's expecting to win. He's expecting to win to the degree that one of the, one of the utterances is classic. He asks, what will be done for the person that kills this Philistine? He's talking about the prize money. What do I get when I win? Yeah, right. He's expecting. That's the level of his expectancy. He knows he's going to win. He wants to talk about what he's going to get. I was trying to find, I was trying, there was that sec, I was trying to see what I'm looking up here. I guess it was in Hebrews and I'm, I'm not as adept in the Bible as you, but the stand firm on your shaky legs. 
It's in Hebrews 12, 12, 14. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Stand firm on your shaky legs. I always like that part, right? And mark out a straight, smooth path for your feet so that those who follow you, though weak and lame, will not fall and hurt themselves but become strong. I love that leader because it tells mm-hmm. you that, look, you're going to be afraid, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, that's To me, that's the fear and uncertainty never goes away. Mm-hmm. But stand firm on it and you go through that with that faith and because the people behind you are going to need that, right? And mm-hmm. to me, that just kind of encapsulates a, like a, a warrior leader mindset. Like mm-hmm. if not me, then who? Mm-hmm. Right? And some people, I don't know, some people might say, well, isn't that kind of a little presumptuous to sit there? And I don't, I don't think that is. Right? I think that's what's – there's not enough of that, right? Yeah. If not me, then who? And think about the amazing momentum that could be generated in our world if even a fraction of the people in our society had that mindset. Yeah. Well, because I think it changes the world. It does change the world, and I and I think people. That's why. That's the that's the kind of myth of leadership that I hope I wish people would just it would break through. Is that look. It it isn't about the position, the title, or even or even the commanding presence of of the caricature of you know having this larger than life commanding presence mm-hmm. i mean going back to the example of david right he just was not a commanding presence in that you know he was the small little you know i was like are you kidding me we can't even get armor to fit this guy right small in stature not in the army never been trained in military maneuver he was being ridiculed by his own brothers who were in the army you mentioned something interesting. The armor is is very, very illuminating. That scene, it's very, very important. What happens, because David is not in the army, he has to ask permission to fight Goliath. That's right. The permission comes from King Saul. King Saul agrees, perhaps reluctantly, on the condition that David wears his armor, King Saul's armor, into battle. David initially puts the armor on, walks around in it, then says, I can't go out in this. I haven't tested this. He takes it off. He goes back to what he has tested, his shepherd's sling, his staff. So symbolically, the armor is the way that the world will try to dress us up yeah. in an identity that's not who we really are. Right. And what's fascinating is King Saul said, go and may God be with you while simultaneously giving David his armor. So he had the formula but he lacked the faith. His faith, King Saul's faith, was still in the armor, this false right. identity. Right. Whereas David, he embraced not just the formula, he embraced the faith. He knew what was going to get him the victory, and it wasn't that armor. <laughs> yeah, that is a great, that's a great leadership lesson. I mean, I mean obviously, I've heard this story so many times and talked about David. I've talked about David on the show many times before. But yeah, there's so many leadership lessons. So many. So many. And it gets to the, yeah. to, to the basics of, of what we're trying to accomplish. You're right. The faith, 
Well, it goes back to what I always say that that I've kind of gleaned out of having these conversations over the last eight years on this show is that the currencies that are needed are authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. All those things that David exhibited in that, right? Particularly the vulnerability piece, right? Yeah, yeah, beautifully. I love those qualities. That's amazing. But the transparency thing of him, like, well, I can't wear this because it's not me. And how many times have we been thrust in leadership? I know, er, particularly early on in leadership roles, where I tried to be a caricature of what I thought a leader should be doing in this example. And it wasn't until I just said, you know, I'm going to be authentically me. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go out yeah. there with, you know, in, in, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to confidently say, I don't know. Right. There's a, yeah. It takes a tremendous amount of confidence and courage to just admit that you don't know, but exhibit the faith that you know that you're going to see this through. Yeah. Yeah, let's not kid ourselves. That was the king's armor. Right. That was the most valuable piece of armor on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. How tempting would it have been to go out and strut in that armor? Right. Right? But David was, to use your words, he was vulnerable. He was transparent. He was humble. He knew the way he was made. He knew what his unique talents were. Yeah. He focused on those. Yeah, I've I've said this ad nauseum on this show, but it's worth repeating because it goes to all the things that we're talking about here. But I, to me, I think the idea of leadership, the ideal of leadership that we should be striving for is kind of like if you had a Venn diagram, you one circle is this almost maniacal intensity of will, right? And then the other circle is a humble, teachable spirit. And where those two intersect, that Venn diagram, that sweet spot, that's, that's to me is, is the the warrior leader that we should be striving to be every day, right? You mm-hmm. get too far on one side. If it's just all about the maniacal intensity, well, then you're just, you're a maniac, right? You just, yeah. right. And, yeah. and you don't have concern for others. And then that's where the kind of the ego and the arrogance kind of comes in and everything else. And then the other way is like we were talking about, well, I'm humble, I'm teachable. And who am I? Like, who am I? I'm not, I'm not ready. Um, when I get to this point, you know, then I will, then I will be a leader or I get this right. We're always, mm-hmm. so if you start moving towards that center, that Venn diagram, that's, I think is a sweet spot. That is awesome. Well said. Yeah. Oh man. So I, I, there's so much stuff I could, so who are you, who are you trying to, who are you trying to inspire or move? I mean, who's your ideal avatar? I mean, I suppose you could say the human race. But if you look at your last 15 years or so as you've been going down this space with, with a lot of intensity, who, who are you trying to attract? Who are you trying to, to change or inspire? Mm. That's such a good question. Or maybe put it this way. Who, who, would, who do you – because leadership is a broad umbrella and almost anybody could be attracted to your stuff. I get that. Who do you enjoy the most? Like if you look at some of your people who you've impacted, who are the people you like to work with, I guess, that gives you the most joy? I love working with warriors. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My tribe. Your tribe. Yeah. My tribe. You know, a few days ago, I came across the slogan of the U.S. Army Chaplain School and Training Center. The slogan of the school is to bring soldiers to God and God to soldiers. Hmm. 
And Richard, I couldn't sleep for about three days. Why? I was just, I was just so inspired by that idea. And I saw that idea holding space for the trajectory that my life has been on. I would just substitute the word soldier for warrior to bring warriors to God and God to warriors. Interesting. I see that. I see that. I see evidence of that in the way that God has strategically opened doors for me along the way. Interesting. What if someone is a devout atheist and they want to be a great leader? What, what would you say to that? Well, even those people who are agnostic or atheist that I have had relationship with mm-hmm. still believe in something. Yeah. We're all investing faith in something or someone. Yeah, I've, always... I've never met a leader, no matter how much they profess to not believe in God, who doesn't believe in something that they're putting in the place of God. Yeah. That's what I was hoping. I, I, I was, I was hoping you'd kind of say that, because I, I that the same thing, and I've. That's why I think it's difficult, and, and, and no matter what you believe, there has to be, and that's I, I've, I firmly believe that if you're going to go down this space of leadership, you have to have a faith in some sort of higher calling or purpose. You have to, and you're right. Even the most devout atheist. I would say sometimes the atheists that I've met had a tremendous a lot more faith than I did. It was a faith in something. You know, they didn't see it as a faith, but it was still a faith. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's, mm-hmm. You still have to answer the, the not no. The, there's still st- stuff that's impossible to know. Mm-hmm. You will never find the answers to some of the most critical and deeply important aspects of leadership or just the human existence through, I don't care how much science you do. In fact, some of the great scientists, the ones who were devout atheists, the more that they dug into it, the more they're like, okay, there's got to be, <laughs> there's got to be <laughs> yeah. something, right? They become yeah. believers in the in the higher power and calling. I think there there yeah. has to be something. Yeah. No, that's, this is good stuff. What? Yeah. What? Who? Again, I guess going back to who do you, who do you want to attract? Who do you want people? How? How do you want people to engage with you, I guess? How can people find more out about you and, and engage with your services? What do you, particularly is with COVID has probably impacted your business quite a bit. And, and uh, But what are you hoping? Where, is, where do you see God leading you now? I mean, where, where is God leading you in 2021? Well, right now, the what's been on my heart is writing books. Okay. I had two books come out last Tuesday, the first Tuesday of... November, the genre that I'm writing is mainly theological, approaching topics such as leadership through the lens of theology. The trajectory that I'm on, I've really been praying about it. I still feel a bit like Abraham in the sense that I'm called in a direction yet I'm not concrete on where that direction will culminate. And what's fascinating is that the way that I answer that question now at this stage in my life 
is so much different than the way I would have answered it even five years ago. Explain that. How, how old are you? First of all, how old are you? I didn't even know how old you are. 42. 42. Okay, so explain 42. what you just said there. What, so what, what I mean by that is I've gone through the great majority of my life being very clear on what I want to do and having a roadmap and definitive goals. Matter of fact, I taught on behalf of CrossFit Incorporated for two years a CrossFit course called Goal Setting and Positive Self-Talk. <laughs> I went all over the world teaching people how to set goals. Yeah. And what I realized is that the way that the world embraces goal setting and the way that the Bible teaches the principle involved are entirely different. And if we're setting goals that we absolutely feel convicted that I know I can do this and I know what it will look like when I accomplish it. And I know every step of the way that will get me there. If those are the goals we're setting, they are so low. Yeah. <laughs> the ceiling on those goals is so low. And what God helped me see is that when I surrender to him and trust that he has plans for me that are above and beyond, anything I could ask for or even begin to imagine. And my main responsibility in this equation is just to trust him. Yeah. And that's the hard part, right? Things get miraculous when that happens. So believe me, Richard, I would love to give you a concrete answer <laughs> about my 2021 game plan brother, but it would just not be in alignment with where I am right now in my faith and my understanding of theology. That answer was way much better than you giving me some <laughs> concrete yeah. goal that you were going to do this. I love that answer, Greg, because, yeah, that resonates with me. I know, yeah, I call it the gnawing. Like, I've, I, yeah, I've had this gnawing, particularly over the last two years. And it's an, un, it's, it's just, it's a frustrating gnawing. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And I think I haven't, well, I know I haven't trusted enough to see where that leads me. Because I've, there's been a couple of times where I've, I've said to myself, I, or people have pointed out to me, why are you thinking so small? Right. And to your point, I think you're right. It's like, it, you can't, if, if you do fully trust in God and the universe or whatever, you, whatever you believe, or at least in that higher calling, the more that you put into that, you're right, that it's going to be, you can't even imagine where it can be, right? And I think the greatest mm -hmm. gift, you know, or the, or the best outcome or the best answer to your question is like, you know, in five years, if you could say, man, I had no idea I would be doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, it, and I, I say I believe that, but I get so caught up when that gnawing is so proud, you know, it, and so what do you do? You do human things or tactical things to try to solve that gnawing, but the gnawing never fully goes away because you're still thinking too small. Right. Does that, well, we, we, we have a responsibility in the equation. There are still things that we do. Sure. Um, those more objective duties to use military vernacular, they prepare us for the ultimate destination. Right. 
So physical yeah. fitness, the discipline, yeah, the discipline of higher education, all the all the tools that we sharpened within the realm of self mastery. Right. You can't just sit there and not right. do anything. No, that's a great right. point. The discipline behind. It's kind of like on the small example. You, I've seen this. I've talked to salespeople. I've even experienced this myself in my own entrepreneurial journey. Take the simple example of trying to get a new client. And, you know, you talk to a salesperson and they will say, well, you got to, you know, whatever. You got to do 20 cold calls a day. So dedicate this morning for your 20 cold calls. Uh, the next three hours are going to be dedicated to networking. And the last three hours are going to be, you know, following up with old clients that I've had once before. And they do that day in and day out, day in and day out. Eventually, they get this wonderful client and it pays them handsomely and it's very enriching. The unique thing, a part of that, that that client that came to them, this significant client that was the perfect fit, paid all the right, was just a beautiful fit, never came from a cold call, a networking event, or following up with one of the clients. But because mm -hmm. they were doing the work, Mm -hmm. everything moved. I mean, story after story, you talk to people like that happens, right? Does that make sense? What I said makes perfect sense. Makes perfect. Yeah. For your listeners, Stephen Pressfield has some amazing yeah. contributions to this discussion. His book, do the work, do the work, the war of art, the art of war or the war, the war of, of art, art yeah. rather the war of art. Yeah. He speaks to this very principle, do the work. Mm -hmm. Do the work day in, day out. The minimum daily requirement to mm -hmm. use language from our discussion today. Do the work. Sharpen the blade. Yeah, Stephen Pressfield is probably – yeah, the war of art drastically changed my life. And I use that a lot mm -hmm. even when I coach. Before I start a coaching session, I have my client read that book before we start because mm -hmm. it gets people in the right mindset. You're right. But guys, dang, I got to remind myself that even, every day, even talking to you in this conversation, I see how I've slipped over the last month in some of that, right? Because you feel like, particularly as if you want to look at yourself as a warrior, you get things done, right? You, comp you, you conquer objectives. But you've got to let go sometimes and, and turn it over to a higher power. You have to and let it guide you and have the faith and not knowing, you know. Allow that dream to be bigger than than what I, I agree with you 100. It's like that's a takeaway I'm getting from this conversation. It kind of reminded me of that. I'd kind of yeah. I'd kind of forgotten about that. Let it slip from my con, you know, from my my discipline, my mindset, the daily discipline. Do the work mm -hmm. anyway. I can't tell mm -hmm. you how many times where I've got all. I think back to all my significant clients or all the significant things that have happened on this show or the journey haven't happened from my direct contributions, but they happened when I was in the zone, in the work and doing the minimum daily requirement. Mm -hmm. Every single one of my significant events and clients have not come from my direct efforts, but they've come when I've been in the zone doing the MDR. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the lesson for the show today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where that lesson comes up in a remarkable way is in the Old Testament, Second Kings, there's this remarkable interaction, chapter five of Second Kings, between 
Naaman and the prophet Elijah. Naaman is a very wealthy king who has leprosy. He has an idea in his mind about the God that Elijah serves. He comes to receive healing from that God. Right. Rather than Elijah coming out to greet Naaman, Elijah sends a servant who tells the king to go bathe in a particular body of water seven times. On the seventh time, when he came up out of the water, he would be clean. <laughs> One of my favorite verses in the scripture is Naaman's response to this. He says, I thought Elijah was going to come out and wave his hands over the spot where I had leprosy and heal me. <laughs> but, well, you know, the reason I'm laughing is that's been me so many times. Like when I read the story, I'm not Elijah. I'm all kind of all. Because we all have these ideas in our mind about the way that God is going to work in our life. And no matter how big those ideas are, they're, they're, they're always going to be limited. Yeah. And so our responsibility is just to get out of the way of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For just sure. Get out of the way and have, have faith that God is good, that he wants to bless our life. That he loves us. He wants what's best for us. Yeah. And then just get out of the way. Yeah. There's no room for, you know, why would, why would you want to believe that everything is working against you? You know what I mean? And it, and again, it, it goes to the abundance versus scarcity mindset. That's mm -hmm. really what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. And for me, and it, our, yeah, our mind is so powerful that if someone, if that's someone's dominant thought, that thought will make itself manifest in their life. They will literally create evidence yeah, for that thought to, to, to perpetuate it. in their life. Right. It will be an endless cycle of self-defeat. Yeah. Whereas someone else could have the thought, my life keeps getting better and better. God is blessing me every day. Right. If that's the dominant thought, they will see evidence of that. That thought will be perpetuating in their life. It's up to us. We're, that's why I love that story. We're naming. Right. Who, you know, who are we going to... How how are we going to think? That's that's what the story teaches. How are you going to think? And it's your what choice. Will the, what will be the quality of your thoughts? Right, right. Because the subconscious is like it's like that. It's that blank, fertile field, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what you choose. I think Pressfield was one that gave this example, right? I think it's like you can choose to put whatever you want. Your subconscious doesn't know, and you could put weeds in there, or you could put some fertile crop. That's useful, like mm -hmm. corn or wheat. And mm -hmm. so what are you going to plant there? It's totally up to you. You're the, you're the, you're the director of this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Easier said than done. But that's the truth, right? That's the truth. It's like we are the authors of this. And, it, and, it, and you're not going to know. Yeah, and, and no matter what you come up with, it's going to be limiting. That's why – that's the power behind – Believing in the higher power, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And being witness to what we're believing about the higher power. Explain. So A.W. Tozar, one of my favorite theologians, said that the thoughts that come into your mind when you think about God are the most important thing about you. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. 
That's powerful, right? Because our thoughts about God don't change God. They change us. Right. So if I think God's out to get me, that changes me. And if I think God loves me, that changes me. Right. And you can see the implications of how that change will be made. Right. (laughs) Those changes are going in the opposite direction from each other. That's right. Yeah. Man, what a fun conversation. I knew this would be good. I knew it would be good to have (laughs) you on, man. How could people reach out to you, man? We could talk about that. We definitely got to have you back on the show, but I'm so thrilled to have you here, man. How can people reach out to you? uh, I think right now my website, GregoryAmundson.com, that seems to be the hub where people can contact me via email. They can tune into my podcast. They can get my books. That's the hub right now. I'll have links to that, man. I'm glad you came on. This was fun. I had a really Thank you, Richard. fun. It was a blessing to be on your show, brother. Thanks for what you're doing for all the leaders in our country. Hey, well, same to you, man. You're 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 knocking it out of the park. And like I said, I knew this would be a fun conversation. This was really enriching for me, and I hope and I'm sure my listeners got a lot of value out of this. But man, thanks for coming on. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.